Welcome to In Search of Wisdom, where each episode explores how to integrate timeless wisdom into everyday life. We engage in meaningful conversations with leading thinkers in philosophy, leadership, theology, and everything in between. We leave no stone unturned in search of wisdom. To learn more, visit us at perennialleader.com. Thank you so much for listening. I am Joshua, and my guest today is Christy Nelson, the author of Wake Up Grateful, the transformative practice of taking nothing for granted. Christy is the executive director of a network for grateful living. It was such a joy to speak with Christy. She shares deep wisdom in this conversation on the difference between gratitude and being grateful navigating uncertainty in life, and so much more. I think you're going to enjoy this one. Please welcome the wise and gracious Christy Nelson. All right, Christy, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be here, Joshua. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time today. And the the first question I had to kind of kick it off was, how does it feel to have your book, Wake Up Grateful, in the world right now? It's stunning. (laughs) As a first-time author, it is so remarkable. Sometimes I forget about it, and then I remember that there's actually this book out there that it truly has a life of its own. I mean, that's one of the things that's so amazing is to write a book and then realize once you get the last edit in and you make the last decision – that it becomes its own entity completely. It is born and it becomes an adult in the exact same moment. (laughs) (laughs) And it travels the way it wants to travel the world. And it's an amazing practice, actually, to work with what is about it, all of its limitations. There's nothing that can be changed anymore at all. And it's out there in the world. And to read reviews and to resonate with those reviews and to learn from those reviews... But it's just this beautiful fixed thing. It's quite stunning. I love the book and I resonate with the feeling on it being alive. It does feel like it has tremendous depth and bones and practicality to it. So I'm grateful to connect with you today. Thank you so much. And I was so moved that I actually picked up an extra five copies of the book and would like to give them away to listeners. So anybody listening, please listen all the way to the end and I'll provide some instructions and details on possibly getting the book for free. That's so great. I love that. I'll stay on. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. To begin the conversation, I was wondering if we could start with a network for grateful living. Could you provide a bit of the history and kind of mission of the organization? Oh, you bet. So it was founded in the year 2000, which is just past our 20-year anniversary. And it was founded by Brother David Steindlerast, who has quite a reputation as an activist, interfaith person, a Benedictine monk, who has devoted his life to gratefulness and to all of what emanates from gratefulness for him And he built this organization initially as a website, which was way ahead of its time, right? So in the year 2000, to be a community space and what we call kind of an online sanctuary for people who want to live gratefully and really understand more about what that is and deepen their relationship to it. 
And it's what we call it is kind of online support for offline living so that knowing that we're all out there living in the world, but we really need support to live gratefully. So we have an extraordinary website, but now we're way more than that. We also offer events and workshops before COVID. We were out there in the world a lot more. So initially it was envisioned as really a website, kind of a portal for people. And now we're becoming much more international much more of a community-based organization. We have gratefulness gatherings all over the country, actually in other countries around the world. Now we have these gratefulness gatherings that meet every month so that people can have real practice spaces with each other. So a network for grateful living is committed to grateful living as kind of a global ethic, which informs, I would say, personal and social responsibility, how we live in the world with one another how we navigate our own lives as spiritual beings in the world and how we take responsibility for the lives that we live. And Grateful Living is really a bunch of very extraordinary guideposts and principles for how to live that way. I love that, Christy. Thank you for providing some context and background there. And I I was hoping we could start with the first portion of the conversation around some of the big rocks of this practice, and you write in the book about it being a way of life. How would you say gratefulness impacts the way we see the world, for example? Mm, How doesn't it (laughs) is really the first question I have, honestly, when you ask that. I think it impacts almost everything. I do think that gratefulness is about being awake, being awake to the truth of life to the truth of our impermanence, to the truth of the exquisite, amazing gift that life is for us every moment that we're here, and to treat it as precious and miraculous, and to be in awe and wonder, and to value and tend the things that we have in our lives, to acknowledge them and notice them. And it is a way of life. It's about how we meet and greet every moment of our lives and everything in our lives and all the people in our lives. And so to me, it really is the foundation from which all of our choices can spring. It becomes a touchstone, I think, as a way of life to bring us back to what truly matters and to remind us over and over again that life is a gift and it's a mystery (laughs) and (laughs) that we should live it now as awake as we can, remembering and living into what matters most to us. That's beautiful. You write a bit about gratefulness and kind of differentiating between gratitude, and I would love to throw in a couple more of happiness, positive thinking. Could you provide a bit of thoughts around differentiating some of those things that we sometimes think about initially when we think of being grateful? Oh, yeah. I love that question. Here's the thing that I like to say. Gratefulness is the gratitude that doesn't depend on what happens. Mm -hmm. And joy is the happiness that doesn't depend on what happens. So a network for grateful living, I would say we're much more committed to these more foundational experiences, these deeper experiences of joy, which has a deep wellspring and gratefulness, which is really unconditional. It's about how we can approach life. It doesn't wait for something to happen. 
it literally just waits for us to be awake. And that's a great differentiator between gratitude and gratefulness is that gratitude really waits for something to happen. And we say, I'll be grateful when, and we put Mm -hmm. it out there into the future. Gratefulness is already in force inside of us. It just needs to be tapped into and we need to be awake. And so that's a really beautiful differentiation, which is gratefulness just waits for us to wake up. And joy, I think, is the same. And we have so many strong cultural assumptions and expectations around happiness and around gratitude. They're heavily conditioned, right, for us now. Like we're taught that to pursue happiness and that to be happy is everything. And people say, are you happy? And it's, well, I don't know. And so then you feel like there's something wrong with you if you're not (laughs) happy all the time. But joy has a kind of gravitas to it and a depth that I really think serves us much more deeply. And I like to say, you know, I may not be great, but I'm grateful. Mm. I may not feel great. My body may not feel great, but nothing has to take my gratefulness away from me because that's the recognition of everything being so extraordinary in life and being really present for all of that. And then positive thinking, just to link back to what you were saying, to circle back to that, Joshua, is positive thinking is a whole other kind of a thing. It reminds me a little bit of that whole kind of manifestation stuff. Like you override the truth in order to get someplace else. And gratefulness acknowledges the truth of everything that is and actually has a bandwidth big enough to hold everything. Gratefulness holds that space for everything to belong and holds paradox and holds tension and pain and difficulty inside of its embrace. Whereas positive thinking is let me make wrong what's challenging for me and override it with this musculature of I'm just going to be positive and have a good attitude. That troubles me because I Mm. think it makes us always feel like it's in that musculature that we should be really kind of trampling on and putting behind us the things that are hard. And I think it's much more about befriending those things and folding those things into the truth of our experience. I love that. Thank you for that distinction. Mm. I think that's really helpful. Around befriending, one of the things that you write about that I really appreciated was just this befriending of not knowing and Mm. savoring uncertainty. That's a big one. And actually, it's a conversation that, you know, I had no idea when I was writing the book, actually, my last words were cast on the page around the exact same time that the world shut down with COVID in my epilogue. Yeah. So I was able to reference it. I begged to be able to put in one paragraph that acknowledged that COVID was happening and on the horizon. And little did we have any idea what was going to unfold. And here we are a year later or more now. So I think uncertainty has become at the forefront of our awareness as a culture and What's interesting about that is we're not a culture very comfortable with uncertainty. I think, I think there's a lot of cultures that maybe Eastern cultures where there's different kind of societal expectations and norms, but we really want to know everything. (laughs) We, I think as a culture, as a society, really define ourselves through knowledge being everything to us and that it's the ability, if we can know enough, we can control life. 
And I think that there's something so profound about the acknowledgement of uncertainty right now, because the more that we can surrender to the truth of uncertainty, it's not just now, you know, people are interested in talking about it now that COVID is so with us, this whole pandemic. But actually what I really say all the time is we're just facing the fact that life is uncertain and always has been and always will be. Mm. Life is just an uncertain journey for all of us. And befriending that, as you say, learning to savor the unknown opens everything about possibility up to us. And so to me, that's not something to override. Oh, let me just get past all this not knowing and get to knowing when it's like, oh, not knowing allows for all the surprises and the amazing things that happen in life that we can't predict or plan. Sometimes those things are difficult, but we learn from them. And often those things are the best things in our lives, the things that surprise us. And they're all held in mystery. And mystery is a really, I think, a friendlier way to hold this idea of not knowing and uncertainty is everything is held inside mystery. And so how do we befriend mystery? And I think that's a great invitation and something deeply to consider and practice and read about and listen to people who have really faced uncertainty in their lives. They're big teachers, right? So, Yeah. It reminds me of one of those roomy quotes of life is the balance of holding on and letting go. And it seems like the letting go can be the more challenging of the two. How do you think about letting go? You write letting go of the idea we can be in charge at all times. I think it's a profound, life-changing consideration. (laughs) (laughs) And that the peace and liberation that can come from letting go are so much greater than I think the gifts of controlling. And we're trained, at least I've been in my life, my younger life, to be vigilant, to be on alert at all times, to be, you know, in our sixth sense, anticipating things, trying to plan for the unexpected all the time. And then also just expecting everything all the time to go according to the way we expect it. And it ends up being a life of a lot of suffering in my experience and in the experience of a lot of people I talk to. So I think there is this holding on is holding on to what matters, holding on to the ephemeral, holding on to our hearts, holding on to love, not forgetting what really does last Mm. and letting go of the things that are so transient and so fleeting and the things that we're taught are the accoutrement for a successful life or a happy life, the things that we're supposed to have. And so I think there's some really powerful discernment that's called for there is what am I meant to let go of? And what am I meant to hold on to? What really wants to be held on to from the deepest place of me? And what wants to be let go so that I can really actually access the things that matter most deeply to me, right? So if we don't let go of the things that don't matter, we'll never be able to access the things that matter. That's a good way to think about it because it frees us up to be available to the most meaningful things in our lives. I love that. And you write so much about kind of that deeper beneath the surface. Where would you say wonder and curiosity come in there? Mm. Well, they're very available to us as small children. 
(laughs) So they're not very far beneath the surface. I think what we need to learn to do is surrender to those, right? So curiosity is absolutely killed in the space of needing to know everything. The more Mm. we need to know, the less we're going to learn. And curiosity drives us toward learning, toward open-eyed, awestruck wonder, intrigue. And that all presupposes that we don't know what there is to discover because discovery waits on the other side of that not knowing and the true interest in what there is to learn. And so to me, wonder is alive in that space of taking nothing for granted, right? So that's the subtitle of the book. And wonder really lives as soon as we stop taking things for granted, we're kind of blasted into a state of true wonder, of awe, of noticing things that have escaped our attention, being curious about things and people who have kind of become more deadened to us. And that's a tragedy. So wonder opens our eyes. And there's some kind of great quote that I'm just thinking of that I'm never going to get right, but stuff your eyes with wonder. You know, (laughs) there's the most amazing way to go through life, which is marvel at everything. And there is something truly extraordinary about that. And it takes us back to the place of when we were around little children, when we were little children, and you realized you could kind of reach out and touch something that you could see and the look on a child's face and being able to move a mobile and being able to smell a flower and taste something. So our sense is open. And it's not just about going through life in some kind of la-la, wildly ineffective state. I think it truly opens our hearts. It opens our hearts to everything. And I do also think that there's something that happens, which is when people get closer to death, that also can happen, that there's a sense of treasuring that we reclaim. And so maybe midlife and the places where I am in my life in my 60s is really about honoring those things that have been taken for granted for me for so long that want to be cherished and want to be noticed and want to be acknowledged and appreciated. And what a joy it is to have that be part of one's mission in life, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You spoke initially about the history of a network for Grateful Living kind of having some spiritual roots with Brother David. I'm curious, in terms of looking at this Grateful Life, secular and kind of spiritual, if there's any sort of differences or thoughts there. Hmm. Well, I think what I was hoping to do with the book is that, you know, Brother David, yes, you're so right. Like the roots of gratefulness really do live in his Benedictine monastic life and his reflections, but those were just afforded him by his choice to be a monastic and to be a Benedictine. And St. Benedict said, keep death always before your eyes. And that's a powerful training. That's a powerful, powerful invitation that really for Brother David took him into becoming a Benedictine monk. It was that one saying, and also almost dying in the Second World War and facing death and living. So gratefulness has its roots in, I think, wrapping a spiritual life around this awareness of the preciousness of life, which Brother David encountered from almost dying, 
And then he says it's at the heart of all prayer and that gratefulness is really at the heart of all religious life. And I think there's such a beautiful truth to that. And he'll say, if you dig down deep enough in all religions, you'll find a shared wellspring. And gratefulness is at the heart of that wellspring, which is really living gratefully for life. And I think what I wanted to do was find the meeting ground between where gratefulness had been kind of claimed in a religious context and to bring it in to deepen all the consideration of gratitude, which is running rampant now. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. really gratitude is kind of everywhere. You know, you can find shirts that say gratitude and cards that say, you know, and everything is about grateful, grateful and research on gratitude. And all of that's wonderful from a secular perspective. And gratefulness brings a deeper cast to how we consider gratitude at its most elemental and fundamental, which I think is in that wellspring of where the human experience lives in the awareness of ourselves as mortal, as impermanent, and as life as incredibly precious and poignant. In that poignancy, oh, that's where gratefulness comes to life for me. That (laughs) poignancy is the place of aliveness because we feel everything. That's the place that can hold paradox. That's the place that can hold difficulty, right? As we were saying, the differentiation between positive thinking and gratefulness, there it is. It's like the poignancy of gratefulness holds everything and differentiates it from gratitude because it lives inside a particular vulnerability. And that vulnerability is rich and enriches our lives. I love that. And that's, a, I think, a great transition to stop, look, go. Could you kind of take a few moments and kind of provide a framework there? Mm. So Brother David has always said, you know, how do you, people would ask, how do you practice grateful living? And he would say in his wonderful accent, you know, you stop, you look, and you go, you go with it. And I always thought, oh gosh, I don't think people know enough. I didn't even know enough. What does he mean that we're stopping for? And what is it that we're looking for or looking at And then where are we going? (laughs) And what does that mean? And so I tried to bring a framework to Stop, Let Go, which I think is brilliant. It's actually the centerpieces of most all awareness practices or spiritual practices or what we would call kind of consciousness, where we try to gain a greater degree of consciousness from our practice. Stop, Let Go is very common, except actually a lot of them don't have the go component. It's basically stop and look. Stop and look, stop and look. So it's about deepening awareness, but not necessarily having action or taking action that emanates from that awareness. And so Brother David was brilliant enough to say, kind of stop, let go. It's how we become aware and we cross the street, right? When we're young. And so it's a familiar reference. And yet I felt like it needed some fleshing out. And so for me, I articulated, brought this kind of more nuanced articulation to it, which is, And it's something we're working with as an organization, really thinking about what is it we stop for? We stop for greater presence. We stop to be present, like you and I did at the beginning of this program. How do we become more present to what is, more available to life? That requires presence. And in that presence, we are able to be opened up to that poignancy of life, right? We feel so much more. We're so much more thin-skinned and available, and we experience life in such a more profound way. 
And what I think we're really looking for is Brother David will say, we're often looking for pleasure or enjoyment or beauty. You look and you look and you see, what can I be grateful for? But one of the things that I recognize is that people can't always be grateful for what they see. Not everybody's life has readily accessible causes for gratitude. You can look around or even look inside yourself and feel really challenged in lots of conditions of life right now because life, we're not in control of it. (laughs) So (laughs) there's a lot of things we're dealing with that are not by our choice necessarily. And a lot of social truths and injustice or, you know, COVID, the pandemic and loss and things that feel really hard to deal with. So then what I say is we actually look for perspective. And looking for perspective is a really beautiful process. And I think there's lots of points of perspective I include in the book that can lead us to gratefulness. And then once we have perspective, we go and the going is toward possibility because it's perspective that opens up a sense of possibility for sure. I really know this myself and I'm one to admit easily, Joshua, it's just a truth for me that I lose perspective often and easily. And it's easy to do in this culture. It's actually kind of an epidemic. (laughs) I think it's really hard to hold on to perspective, yet we're rarely taught, like, how do you gain it? How do you really cultivate perspective? So I tried to take this look step and have it be a variety of prompts for how we can gain perspective in a moment that opens up that more grateful perspective, and then possibility is much more awake and available to us, and we can help co-create it. And so that's kind of the stop, let go, stop, get present. It's really about being deeply attentive to the moment at hand. Look, become aware, notice, wake up, take things into your consciousness, seek out those extraordinary things in life that there are to be mindful of, and then go and make something of the possibility and the opportunity that opens from that space. Thank you so much for that. I had so much appreciation for the five points of perspective, kind of going through that. And you you have extensive background in leadership experience and education. And I was wondering if we could maybe explore it as a grateful leader, how it shapes our actions as a leader, parent, friend, and what comes to mind there. Wow. So that's a great question that no one's ever asked me before. So that's it's really a joy to get to consider that. And I have really been intrigued by leadership myself, both as a student and as a leader and considering myself a student of leadership all my life. So that would be maybe the first thing is humility. (laughs) (laughs) So it's one of the teachings is really, you know, how do we stay incredibly humble and hold that stance of curiosity and wonder and recognize that. I think the points of perspective, which really are poignancy, recognizing that how can we as leaders evoke these, embody these points of perspective so that we benefit the people around us and also benefit the larger work at hand that we're called to do. And poignancy is one of the most powerful because it's really about recognizing at once the preciousness of life and the brevity of time right? So how do we really recognize like everyone as a leader, when we're working with people, we're honored by anyone else's presence. When people give their time to something, it's a poignant proposition because we're giving our life and our life force, our time, our attention, our skills. And that is so worth appreciating. 
I think privilege is a really powerful point of perspective as well. We have the privilege of being able to work. We have the privilege of being leaders and also the privilege of bringing those people we care for and with whom we work into their own leadership, helping to provide opportunities and the feedback and the conditions that arouse people's ability to be leaders, that supports people's ability to be leaders. That's a privilege. I think there's pleasure as another point of perspective. It's really important, which is what is the blessing of having work? What is the gift of being able to show up into something that we love? And so we only impart these things by embodying them. (laughs) We are so quickly deconstructed by anybody we're leading if they don't see it on us first. So one of the great things as a leader is to try to be and become everything that you would want in the people with whom you're working, in your teams, to really take the opportunity to be that. And then I think that really comes from what I call peak awareness, which is from this sense of keeping perspective, keeping a 10,000 foot view or a 20,000 foot view all the time on the privilege of your work, on the setting of your work, on the mission of your work, the vision of your work. So I would say leaders really are about embodying a vision and mission. And those are peak perspectives. Those are being able to keep distance and not getting caught in the weeds all the time. So all these points of perspective serve our capacity to be effective leaders, to be grateful leaders, and leaders for whom our teams can be grateful (laughs) and therefore in service of work that really is effective in the world, no matter what sector we're in. So that's my first riff on the subject. Hopefully that, (laughs) that touches on a lot of things I think that we're talking about and hopefully you were interested in in that question. Yeah, absolutely. It's beautiful. It makes me think of the subtitle of the book of really taking nothing for granted. When you think in your role as a leader, what helps you in in this fast-paced environment and the busyness of life? What helps you to take nothing for granted as a leader? Anything Mm. come to mind? Well, I think the most important thing is acknowledging what a challenge it is, right? So I don't take for granted that it's easy. I also don't take for granted that it's hard. I try to live in that middle path of this is a huge challenge from which I get to learn everything. I think, you know, our good work in the world has the opportunity to teach us most everything. And so there's a truth to the fact that, you know, we're in these wildly fast-paced worlds, negotiating new conditions all the time because of technology, because of cultural changes. We're really challenged by those things. And I think humility and making the decision to travel this path with a great humility of heart is for me the answer. It's where I want to live, which means I'm constantly leaning into and listening to the people with whom I work to help inform me about how to be a better leader and to notice where it is that I can improve. And if I'm really interested in those things, there's a constant, it's in the wind all the time, (laughs) all those ideas about how we can be better if we choose to take the influence of the people around us. And I love the fact that I work with people for whom I have such regard, who I respect so much. That idea of taking influence, which is a John Gottman in relationship theory, he talks about influence taking. 
And so Mm -hmm. it's really great to surround yourself with people who you respect enough that their influence is going to inform your journey as a leader as much as you will inform anybody else's. That's so helpful. Yeah, that felt good to say. (laughs) I was like, that's great. You know, I love that question. So thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, Speaking of love, a grateful love, you write, grateful living is practice of love in action. Mm. Could you speak a bit about that? You know, I think it's so evident in everything we've already talked about Mm -hmm. that somebody actually said to me recently, your book is a love letter to life. Mm. Oh, did that ever speak to me and made me so humbly proud, (laughs) you know, that if that's true and people can read it that way, I think it is. I think it opens up the heart to entertain the idea of the fact that one of the principles of grateful living is love is transformative. And the more we open our heart to the gratefulness of life, the more our heart will overflow. And that is a principle that's just, it's a truth, which is the more that we can make space for everything in life, the more love we're going to be able to offer, the more fully our hearts are engaged, the more we will be loved. I mean, what an incredible privilege to get to be a conveyor of love in the world, to get to open our hearts. And I think that when we connect with the first principle of grateful living, which is life as a gift, and when we receive each moment gratefully and welcome each moment gratefully, we're always receiving, right? So when we greet all of the things that come into life with an open heart, then we're always in this receptive space. And you can see how that is. That's the qualities of love, which is it's not turning away. It's not taking for granted. It's about presence. It's about maintaining that perspective. So I think the deep, deep place where all of grateful living is rooted is in the heart and that love is the kind of endless wellspring that feeds a grateful life. It's hard not to be in love with life when you feel so grateful for this gift of life and the poignancy of what that invites us into, honestly. And you write so much about it being a practice. Mm -hmm. When you think of gratefulness in our bones, how do we keep it there if we happen to get it in there? How do you think about (laughs) it in terms of a practice? (laughs) In the marrow. (laughs) Yeah. It really does need to be in the marrow, doesn't it? I think that One of the beautiful things about living gratefully is you receive a constant feedback loop that reinforces the practice of living gratefully. Mm -hmm. There's very few ways that you can live that give such an immediate and such a wholehearted response to our actions and our decisions about living gratefully, which is about living generously, right? And so Mm -hmm. how do we get it in the bones is to pull ourselves out of even in those moments that are really difficult and to be willing to seek out the opportunities to share a grateful heart, to Mm -hmm. recognize that other people are struggling and can really benefit from you know, there's that saying kind of, there's a truth to our worst day is somebody else's best day. Often, right? Like how do we get outside of ourselves and really recognize 
that even in really difficult times, we have so much to offer and there's so much need in the world. And so my practice would be to say, keep returning to the go, to the action based on that perspective, which is based in presence, which Mm -hmm. helps us remember that life is a gift and then to share that gift and to live that gift as ultimately as we possibly can. And you will find constant reinforcement for the direction of living gratefully, and it will start to live in your marrow. And we will find ways back to the kind of prompts, ways that we can remind ourselves, the points of perspective that will remind us. We will draw to the people who will remind us, and they will be drawn to us. And so life becomes a reinforcement of that practice in the marrow of our bones. I love that. Mm. How has putting your thoughts and life on paper maybe change the way you see and experience life today? Oh, it's so vulnerable. (laughs) That's Mm. one of the first thoughts. It's such an amazing thing because as I say, it's when you write a book, it is like birthing an adult who goes off and then just runs (laughs) through the world and does what it needs to do and is greeted by life and other people the way that they want to greet it and hold it. And so there's so little control. It's just profound. It's a profound teaching. So how is life now that these words have been written down? It's extraordinary. I would not have the opportunity to know you and be on this program right in this moment. I feel like it's opened so many doors. A book is like a key. I really get this now and a key that opens all of these opportunities. And I did not realize that to the degree to which I now do. So that's one of the ways that life has changed is having the words on paper, no matter how imperfect, right? So, you know, perfect being the tyranny of the good, any perfectionism that wanted to come my way in terms of writing the book and that tried so hard (laughs) to stop me, oh my gosh, every single day. Perfectionism would have never allowed the book to be published. It gets right in the way. So being able to work with that and to just keep going and to allow this beautiful piece of work to just go out into the world and then to be held as it is held, to do the work it's meant to do, to travel as it's meant to travel is such an incredible spiritual practice. I love it. And I love being in conversations around it. And that key is opening so many beautiful doors for our work, for gratefulness, because ultimately I was just trying to be a vehicle for grateful living to take hold in the hearts and the marrow of as many people as possible for whom it could serve. That was the prayer, honestly, was just make me a vehicle, allow it to serve, allow me to serve get this thing out there, and then it becomes alive in the relationship with each person who reads it. It's not my book anymore. It's their book. Mm. That's so cool. Yeah, it's wonderful. You did such a wonderful job with it, Christy. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. For somebody listening, looking for Maybe a small, tiny step or a prompt Mm -hmm. to grateful living. What comes to mind? Mm. Well, I have one that I use all the time that I'll just share. And then there's one from the book that's really powerful that impacts people a lot. So I want to share that and leave your listeners with it. But mine is, there's a beautiful poem by Jane Kenyon called Otherwise. 
And I think all the time it could be otherwise, which Mm. means I might not be here. And it's one of those beautiful poems that she wrote that just recognizes the blessings in every single day. And she died not long after from cancer, recognizing in every moment of her pleasure that she knew it would be otherwise. And so for me, that helps me hold perspective because it helps remind me of my cancer journey and my awareness that life is short and unpredictable and it could be otherwise. You could not be here, Christy Nelson. Mm. So relish the being here-ness. And same thing with anybody. It could be otherwise. And one day it will be otherwise for all of us. So being here now is really beautiful. And then there's a practice, which you can find on our website. I'll just say this because I don't want to go all the way into it after that, because that felt very powerful for me to share. But it's in the book and it's on our website and it's called From Obligation to Opportunity. And it's basically shifting, I have to, to I get to. And it's a really easy and very provocative practice to integrate into your life. Christy, we're big readers here at In Search of Wisdom. Do you have any book recommendations that come to mind that you'd like to share? That is one of the hardest questions I've ever (laughs) been asked. I've been a prolific reader until I started writing. (laughs) And then it was hard to read. But so what comes to mind first when I hear you ask that question is less about the books that one might think of conventionally. And I think about the gift that poetry has been for me. Poetry is such a perspective enhancer. It cuts through so much because it's in its simplicity, it speaks so deeply. And I am a deep poem appreciator. I love poetry. And so I have many books, but I also just, I love exploring new poets. And we have a big collection of poetry on our website, actually. And so I would say to me, there's been very little in my life that has helped enrich my wisdom life and acting from wisdom more than picking up a good poem and reading it and closing that closing that page and feeling like I am truly transformed and awoken, awake from a very small number of words. It's very powerful to realize that it doesn't take a whole book. Sometimes less is more. And poetry is a real gift. I love that. I highly encourage everyone to pick up the book, Wake Up Grateful, The Transformative Practice of Taking Nothing for Granted. As I mentioned early in the show, we've got five copies that we would like to send out to listeners. If you heard something that resonated with you, touched you, and you'd like to potentially get the book for free, send us an email at info at perennialleader.com and just give us a brief message, a paragraph or so of what resonated with you. This has been a great conversation. Christy, where can people go to learn more about your work? Thanks so much. I've loved it. And to learn more, you would go to gratefulness.org. And we also just are going to be at grateful.org. That's a little bit easier for people to spell sometimes. (laughs) So that's on the web. And then there's a lot of resources in the back of the book as well, in the back of Wake Up Grateful and ways to find out more. But we love seeing new people on our website and offering the resources that we do there. It's a really rich place to come spend some time. 
It definitely is. Christy Nelson, I am grateful for your time today. This has been a pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity, Joshua. I too am grateful to meet you and to spend this time. Thanks for your beautiful work in the world. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. You can get the show notes and links to resources mentioned at perennialleader.com slash podcast. If you're interested in learning more, subscribe to our free email meditations. These are short reflections on wisdom for everyday life. Right to your inbox. Go to perennialleader.com. Lastly, I urge you to put what you heard into practice. And until next time, be wise and be well. Be well.